Several times in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus starts a teaching with the phrase, You have heard it said. He then goes on to state something that all good religious folk knew to be true. Or was it? Without hesitation, Jesus redirects the entire teaching with these words, But I say to you. He then goes on to teach them something different, which completely changes their understanding of what they previously thought to be true. Surprisingly, but unquestionably, we live in similar circumstances today. Much common knowledge we all take for granted begins with the phrase, everybody knows. Quite literally, we have heard it said for so long, we do not recognize thoughts or ideas that contradict the wisdom of God and lead us away from authentic life in Jesus Christ. Sadly, this same worldly wisdom has also infected a great deal of church teaching as well. In this podcast, the Reverend Elizabeth Moreau explores a different piece of conventional wisdom, examines what is true from a Christian point of view, and exposes how widely held common knowledge can lead us away from God. Welcome to the You Have Heard It Said podcast. Well, let us begin. My name is Elizabeth Moreau, and I want to welcome you to the You Have Heard It Said podcast. This is the inaugural podcast of You Have Heard It Said, and I admit to you that I am completely uncomfortable sitting here talking into a microphone. Um, Most people wouldn't think that. I mean, if one knows me very well, you'd think it would be a a perfect setup for me. I can sit here and talk endlessly and say whatever I want to say, and nobody can argue with me or interrupt me. But it turns out this is really a lot harder than I expected. Uh, A friend of mine said to me the other day, "Just, just sit down in front of the mic and start talking like you would answer a question from me. But that's hard to do with nobody else in the room. So... Before we get started here, I want to um, open with a word of prayer because I am pretty sure I need the presence of the Lord in this place, and um, I know that I need His assistance. So let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we ask that you open our hearts and minds to receive your Holy Spirit for the healing of our souls. Illumine our thoughts and enliven our hearts. Teach us in this time so that we may know you and your Son, Jesus Christ, and live. These things we pray in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now then, as we start off the podcast, you have heard it said, there's a reason that I am picking that particular topic and um, uh, that particular name for a podcast. It's because we have heard all sorts of things in the last, I don't know, all of our lives. We hear things out of the, out of the world. We read articles. We go get educated. We know all these different things. And we have to ask ourselves, are these things Christians? Are these things Christian? Is this, in, is this compatible with Christian belief? And too often, I think, we have really compromised the gospel by accepting knowledge that um, everybody tells us is true. Everybody says this is true. Everybody knows. And I want to say that things that everybody knows, probably not something that Jesus knows. And um, I don't mean that in the sense that I think that Jesus is not smart, but rather in the, in the sense that I think Jesus knows far more than we do, and therefore, when we think everybody knows this, it's probably less than what God would reveal. God knows more than we do. 
That's my basic premise here, that we have compromised with the world around us. And I think that's a question that we should face as we get ready for Christmas. We're going to celebrate Jesus' birth. We're going to talk about um, the, the expectation of his return. And so as we sit here and we think about those things, I want to go, how much of that do we truly believe and do we live accordingly? And I'm not saying we believe in our minds or the back of our minds or whatever. God is not the cosmic love muffin back there that we're all going to be okay, you know, one day when we die. In the meantime, we're living very worldly lives. I think there's every indication that the church has compromised the gospel with worldly knowledge, worldly knowledge that's not compatible with Christian teaching. And my first point was, was is from John 1, where uh, Jesus said, where John wrote that, that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it, the darkness did not understand it, the darkness did not overcome it. Depends on which translation you're listening to. But um, the point is, if the world doesn't understand Christianity, then we probably ought not be using worldly wisdom to interpret the Christian gospel. Now, then the reason I make that point is because I want to share an illustration. And this is an illustration that is, uh, uh, this is a true story. Several months ago, I received um, an email, and uh, I, along with a lot of other pastors, had received an email, and it was meant to be very encouraging. It was sent very, with the best of intentions. And, um, and because this is a very stressful time for everybody, 2020 has been, nobody's going to be sorry to see it go. But um, 2020 has been a hard year, and uh, it's been hard on pastors with um, what with the pandemic and with protests and all the political tension of a of an election year and all that going on. And then in addition, uh, the pastors have been dealing with church closures and people who want to gather and people who don't want to gather and people who don't have money and people who want to give money. People are I mean, there are a lot of stresses on a pastor, and I will tell you under under great conditions there are a lot of stresses on a pastor. You have to listen to people all the time. You have to um, uh, prepare all the time. You have to be uh, pay attention to people, and it's it's always a challenge. I think I think pastoral ministry is hard work. It is hard to love people who aren't always lovable. It is hard to uh, follow in the footsteps of Christ behind him and try to try to get people to pay attention to Christ and to live like Christ and to take him seriously. It is hard work to um, meet people at their worst moments in the middle of divorce or at their saddest moments in the middle of death. So I think pastors work hard, and I think it's a, a demanding career. I think it's a great gift to be able to be a pastor. So anyway, this, this email gets sent, sent to pastors, and it's meant to be encouraging. And in it, I believe, um, was a, it was a link to another article, and I believe it was sent with great intentions for the hope of encouraging people in the middle of a hard time, pastors trying to do their job. But in this email, there's a link to an article written by somebody from a different denomination. I'm a Methodist minister, and um, it's written by uh, somebody from a different denomination. And in it, he's talking about having a small group of people that he meets with. I gather other pastors. I don't really know. But, it was four, uh, but I think there were 10 people. And out of the 10, four of those, under all the stresses of, of the pandemic and everything, were con- had at least thought about suicide. And I thought, you have got to be kidding me. Four out of 10 pastors in a small group had considered suicide based on um, the pandemic and the complaining uh, parishioners who wanted to have people attending worship or not attending worship, opening the church or not opening the church, and the, the changes in income for the church and who's employed and who's not and what employee is going hungry because they don't have a job anymore, that sort of thing. And um, so it, that, that's very stressful. I, I get that. Four out of ten pastors have contemplated suicide. I'm like thinking, what are they doing? What are these people preaching? These are the pastors? Okay, 
goes on down and he makes recommendations. And he tells the the congregation, "Now you need to remember that you are not um, that your 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 pastor is just a shepherd, not the good shepherd." And um and I'm I thought, oh, yeah, that's true. I mean, expectations of clergy generally run pretty high, and they're pretty unrealistic because you know, clergy are just people. But um anyway, so then and then he goes down to the clergy ex- recommendations for the clergy. The first two recommendations were, one, see a doctor, and two, you need to get some medication. Now, i got to tell you, I think that depression and anxiety and suicide are very serious things. I really do. And I do not want to mock that at all. But I'm sitting here thinking, let me get this straight. You are preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you are overcome by, a, by sickness, by money, and by cranky parishioners. I'm like, what gospel are you preaching? What is the gospel that we are proclaiming? They didn't, the, the recommendation, the first recommendation wasn't get on your knees and pray, Lord Jesus, I need a resurrection. Lord Jesus, I need strength. Lord Jesus, give me hope. Lord Jesus, this is more than I can bear. I'm carrying too much. I mean, no, none of those things. There was, it, the article didn't refer to any of those things for the clergy. Instead, it said the only reference to prayer, in fact, was the last one. It says, y'all should pray for one another and remind them to go to your counselor so everybody can go see the psychologist they need to see. And I don't have anything against psychologists but my point is if psychologists are our salvation and medications are our salvation then we need to give it up because christianity is not worth it it is too hard to be a pastor if you don't believe in the resurrection it is too hard to be a pastor if you don't have hope that is is unseen if you don't have faith in that which you cannot see i was just like blown away what are we preaching out of the gospel that's when i said okay i think we ought to talk about what we have heard because if you don't believe there's a resurrection coming tomorrow, you probably ought not to be in a pulpit today. I have to, that's, that's a harsh judgment, but that's true. What makes the gospel so powerful is that God conquers. Instead, we're like, oh my, um, you know, like this is a really stressful time. What would you do in the middle of like persecutions if you can't handle cranky parishioners and no money? What would you do when they were, were killing off your parishioners or when you were, um, like, and that's going on around the world today. Are we even aware of that? I'm thinking, we can't cope with a pandemic being stuck in our house with our family and people complaining about it? And, and how would you cope then if, if the, the bottom were falling out of the church or out of society? What are we going to do if they start persecuting Christians? What are we gonna, how would you have lived through a pandemic or a plague during Jesus' time? In the 2nd and 3rd century, there were huge plagues that destroyed part, uh, large percentages of the Roman Empire. Those Christians didn't, you know, um, they didn't sit back and say, oh, I need a counselor to talk to. They had a mighty God, and I don't think God has changed at all. They had a mighty God they could lean, lean on. They had a mighty God that they could depend on, and they had a mighty God who gave them the strength that, to, to get through the hard times. And I think we need to reclaim that God because God hasn't changed. We've changed. We're the ones who don't get um, the, the power of God to, to give life. We don't, we're the ones who have failed to access the love of God to sustain us and to love our neighbors. We are the ones who have diminished the goodness of God to give life and to grant us joy and, and to grant us peace. You know, Jesus has not changed. And yet, the truth of the matter is, a great many of us don't expect very much out of Jesus at all. And I, I, I believe, I know that Christianity is a crossroads, is at a crossroads in Western culture today. We have reached the point that we're either going to capitulate to culture all the way, and I think we ought to just get, if, if that's the case, we ought to just give it up. Jesus is just another guy, and Christianity is way too much trouble and way too unpopular in the United States to, um, to, to, 
continue to go to church on Sundays and continue to be a Christian if all we're doing is saying, well, yes, Jesus is going to love me when I die, and in the meantime, I'm going to go and get my counselor and get my medications so that I don't suffer from depression. If you suffer from depression, you need to take medications, and I'm okay with that. I am for that. There have been times in my life when I've required medication, but I have to tell you, if you are suffering from that, you also need to lean on Christ because under, underneath all your depression is the hope of the soul. And if Christ is about anything, it is about offering us hope and resurrection in the midst of darkness and death. And that's where we are. We're in the midst of darkness and death in, in our world today, and Christians need to reclaim all that the gospel has for us. We need to like um, recover the riches of the Christian life. We need to learn to abide in Jesus Christ again. We need to learn to live in Jesus Christ again. Because in Jesus' truth, in Jesus' wisdom, in Jesus' strength and courage and love and joy, how much do you need to live? Above all, there is life in Jesus Christ. How much do we need to be alive? I think that we've bought into so much out of the world around us that we have ceased to be to be in awe of what God would do for us, in awe of the salvation of Jesus Christ in our lives. And we should be. And I want us to recover some of that because I am absolutely certain that God is still God. I am absolutely certain that Jesus still saves. And I am absolutely certain that the, the authentic, rich, and meaningful life begins when we are born of the Spirit of God. And furthermore, I'll tell you this, I don't care how smart we think we are, I am absolutely certain that those things will never change. Now then, I want to be careful here. I do not want to denigrate the knowledge and the wisdom that we have these days. I am for the science. I am for medicine. I appreciate all of those. And I am grateful for the technology we have. I'm sitting in a room talking to you, and I don't know where you are, just... So technology is a great thing. I've, I've learned more in the last couple of months than I ever wanted to know. And the worst part about that is next week it is going to be obsolete knowledge. However, my point is that for all of the knowledge that we have gained, for all the advances that we have in science and in medicine, the question is, are those sufficient to supplant the gospel of Jesus Christ? And my argument or my, my position is no, they are not. Now, throughout Scripture, we are told that the world does not see God, that the world does not understand God, and that is especially clear in the New Testament. Well, if the world doesn't understand God, then if, they, if the world can't see Jesus Christ and can't understand the truth of the gospel, then why would we ever allow the world to interpret the gospel for us or to tell us what the gospel is good for or to tell us how much we should or should not believe? Um, I think that's a mistake. The whole point of the incarnation is that the world could not understand God, even from the law that God gave, that they couldn't see who God was, even through his law. And so now we're going to set all that aside and, and say, oh, but we have so much knowledge now. And I think that there are people who tell us that on a regular basis. There are philosophers and scientists who say, who would believe in Christianity? Only idiots believe that. That is like, and I go, mm, you know, really? I don't think that's true. I don't think that, that, that they're in any position to judge Christianity. Uh, there are lots of passages in the scriptures that tell us that the world doesn't understand. Jesus himself said to his, his disciples, he said, if the world hates you, then it hated me first. And, um, and that's who we follow. We follow somebody who's not of this world. I want to read a passage to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Um, it begins with, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, 
which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thought except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit of who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God, and we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. And if science and medicine tell us anything today, it is that the... The world is not spiritual. It would have us believe that everything is physical and material and we are subject only to those things. And there's no room for the gospel in the middle of that. There's no understanding of the spiritual in the middle of that. And Paul goes on and he continues to write. He says, the natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but he, but is himself to be judged by no one. For those or who has understood the mind of Christ, so as to instruct him. But we have the mind of Christ. I remember some years ago, I was sitting across from a counselor, and we were talking about my son, who was uh, had had. He was an experience to raise. But anyway, um, I was sitting across from my counselor, and I was discussing. Um, his lack of hope and his, the presence of sin in his life. And she says, well, you know, however you want to interpret that. And then she went on about and she was explaining about, you know, medications and all this kind of stuff and what kind of treatment they were going to do and how they were going to straighten them all out. And I thought, what, however I want to interpret that, but what I just said was true. He is full of sin and he is in need of hope that is greater than himself. He needs to be accountable to God. And she didn't believe any of those things. She thought I was a nut job. And I think the time is coming that people are going to think that Christians are crazy. But here's the thing. Why do we want this world around us to judge our God? Look at this. We impart wisdom, but it's not a wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age. Uh, the, you know, I love these. I love these. I love this passage because it is so clear that worldly knowledge is not the same thing as Christian knowledge. And we as Christians need to recover that because our God is the source of all wisdom. Our God is the source of all knowledge. Right, and I chose the passage that we're that I just read to you because I love the image of what no eye has seen nor ear heard. That we have seen it; that's been given to us. God revealed it to us through His Spirit. Right? If a world doesn't believe in a spirit, if if our world, if our science, if our medicine, if our intelligentsia, if um, all the uh, philosophers around in the colleges today or whatever don't believe in a spiritual world, that doesn't mean the spiritual world doesn't exist. It just means they don't believe in it. But the spiritual world has been a part of our world forever. In fact, our world is a part of the spiritual world, not vice versa. You know, God revealed to us through his spirit that he exists, that he is the author of all life. And natural people, smart people, kind people, nice people, some of them are not as nice or kind or as, they, as, we, as, it would, as we'd like for them to be, but, but I'm not as nice and kind as I would like to be. Um, but anyway, natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They're folly to him. 
you know, our society has come to believe that we no longer need God at all. And so Christianity becomes more and more marginalized. And a lot of the authorities in our society uh, think that we are so sophisticated and advanced that we don't really need Christianity or need any kind of religious faith, that it's some sort of crutch or um, illusion that we need to help us get through life because we lacked all the knowledge in the past, the, the religious superstition or whatever from the past, and we lacked all this knowledge. Well, 1 Corinthians 1, Paul wrote that um, the cross of Christ is foolishness to the Greeks. In the first century, the intelligentsia thought Christianity was stupid. They thought it was unnecessary. They thought it was, they thought it was wrong. It was foolishness to them. It turns out our intelligentsia, all of our intellectuals now, all of our academicians and philosophers and great leaders and whatever they are, they're just as wrong. They're just like all the first century ones, too. All the, all the smart people in the first century said, oh, that's just foolishness. And all the first, uh, 21st century, we hadn't advanced very far at all. All the smart people around us, the, the Greeks in our academies, so to speak, Greeks, I mean, I don't know what that, but all the different you know, races and genders and stuff that we have in the academy today. But it's still foolishness to all the smart people. It's still foolishness to the intellectuals and the academics. That didn't change in 2,000 two years, 2,100 years. Cross of Christ is foolishness. Dying to self, dying to the world, laying down your life. The resurrection, raising from the dead, the existence of the God who gives life. That was foolishness 2,100 years ago, 2,000 years ago. We hadn't made any great progress. We think we're so smart, but we're really not. And Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 1, this is a stumbling block for the Jews. Well, I think maybe that in some cases, this has become a stumbling block for the Christians, that we are the Jews now, that we've heard about the cross of Christ for so long, it's sort of a stumbling block to us. We're going to be busy living in the world and attain all the things of the world, and we're not going to, we're not going to worry about self-denial, we're not going to worry about denying um, ourselves and taking up our cross and following Christ, we're not going to worry about um, uh, sacrifice or... or um, laying down our lives for our friends. We're not going to worry about whether or not we proclaim the gospel to a people who don't believe. You know, how do we reach the point that the God who flung the stars in the skies, who parted the waters, who walked on the water, the God who became man in Jesus Christ, the God who was raised from the dead and ascended into heaven, the one who defeated death, who poured out his spirit on all people and promised to return and reign forever. How do we reach the point that that God is not big enough to cope with 21st century American life? I think the problem lies with us. The gospel is still awesome news. The most important thing for us to remember is that God is more than sufficient for our life today. More than sufficient. We need to reclaim that and we need to be able to speak that to our world today. Unafraid, unabashed. But we can only do that if we live in his power, if we live the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ ourselves. I'm going to take a short break at this point and ponder on that, and I will pick back up in a moment. Elizabeth will be back in just a moment. If you have questions or comments about this or a previous podcast, please send her an email. Her email address is elizabeth at servantsfeast.org. We're back now to You Have Heard It Said with the Reverend Elizabeth Moreau. All right. After a quick break, I want to pick back up where I left off. I was talking about God being sufficient. And God is sufficient. 
Um, God is sufficient for whatever we face in our world today. God is sufficient for whatever challenges we face personally. God is sufficient to understand how the world ought to operate, and God is sufficient for understanding how we ought to operate. And that's sort of my goal with uh, this podcast is to help Christians reclaim Christianity so that we know that our God is sufficient for whatever is going on. And if we want to understand something, then our God is the place to go to understand something. Christianity makes sense. That's not a common that isn't a common uh, portrayal of Christianity, but it does make sense. And it makes better sense than the majority of the philosophy and science that we read today. It, makes it, it understands reality better than what we see there. A really common fallacy that is taught in our educational system, and it's just implied in so many of our different beliefs and so many, so many different um, attitudes, whether, it's, whether you're watching the Big Bang Theory, which is hilarious, by the way, or if you are uh, sitting in an advanced, you know, uh, theoretical physicist class or whatever. Um, a common fallacy is that Christianity is historically anti-science, and you can't be a Christian and too scientific, and I think that's nonsense. Absolutely. I don't know where people think science came from, but science came from the ancient universities, not ancient, but there were medieval universities that were belonged to the Roman Catholic Church. The idea, I mean, there were anti-science Christians, but the, the church is not anti-science. God created, therefore, Creation is discoverable. We can learn about creation. It's a great idea. Science came out of the Western universities where general where people entered the university and began to study about who God is and about his creation, what he had done. That's how we know about it. That's how the scientists got into arguments with the church, Galileo or Copernicus, whatever. But it, it's not because the church is anti-science. It's because there are individuals who are anti-science maybe. But uh, most of us don't know that. One thing that I think is important to note is creation can be studied, but not God. You cannot measure God with human instruments. You cannot measure God with human skills. You cannot measure God with human knowledge, right? But that doesn't mean God can't um, understand us, and it doesn't mean that he is not visible in his creation. He is, right? One of the things that I always am intri I'm intrigued by are how um, scientists are so sure that you can't possibly have a God. I mean, it's so condescending. And um, I was listening, I read a scientist the other day, a friend sent me an article, and I was just like, oh my God, this guy, you could drive holes through the, this guy's logic, and he's so condescending. And um, I thought, wow, that's kind of embarrassing for him. Science has never discovered anything that was a surprise to our God. He created all that is seen and unseen, and the first thing we ought to know is we have never discovered a piece of knowledge out there that was a surprise to God. That's how big your God is. Additionally, philosophers who uh, figure out, you know, they're, they're metaphysical philosophers and they're trying to figure out the meaning of life and they don't want to do it with God. They think there's no God out there and then we're going to try to figure out what our purpose is or how we're supposed to live without God. No philosophers ever had an idea that God looked at and like, oh my God, oh my me, I didn't never thought of that. Wow, what a deal. That's not true. Your God is the God of all. He is Anything that is true at all exists within in him, and no sin, no hubris that we could come up with would ever deny his existence. I mean, it's, it's not ever going to get beyond him. How's that? So I'd say it would not deny any hubris that denies his existence is still not a surprise to him. He's still not shocked by our arrogance or our ability to uh, try to push him away. There are a lot of people who don't believe in God today. G.K. Chesterton said, and I find this to be really true and really wise, a hundred years ago, he said, G.K. Chesterton said, when men choose not to believe in God, they do not thereafter believe in nothing. They then become capable of believing in anything. That is so true. Let me read it again. 
When men choose not to believe in God, they do not thereafter believe in nothing. They then become capable of believing in anything. And we see that today all over the place. I do anyway. Um, we have all this advanced knowledge and we have all these sophisticated tools. And I want you to think about what it takes to create that kind of like sophisticated tool. Let's say anything, look way out into the universe someplace or um, study molecular biology, whatever it is. You have all of these incredibly sophisticated tools and all this knowledge of everything that's happened in the past and our ability to read archaeology and go back and figure out what happened in the years in the past and centuries past and all that kind of stuff. Say so the whole of creation with all this really amazing, amazing capacity. And it turns out that human beings are not a little less than angels. They are nothing more than monkeys. We're nothing more than monkeys. Monkeys. How many monkeys do you know who came up with a microscope, for example? I just It boggles my mind what people believe, what we're willing to believe. You know, the big, the big field of study today in science is um, the origins of the conscience. How come human beings have a conscience? Where did conscience come from? Now, I want to consider that in comparison to the study of prayer a decade or two ago. They were doing studies on the efficacy of prayer, and they were, they could, scientists or, you know, medical professionals could measure brain activity. It was great. But I never know what conclusions there were. Do y'all know of any conclusions? What were the conclusions that were drawn? The studies kind of faded away. Well, yes, we can see that something is happening, but we don't know what. Why? Because you can't measure what God does. Just because you can't see the spiritual doesn't mean it doesn't exist. But there are no conclusions to draw. Well, clearly something happened. In double-blind studies, some people did better, you know, showed the prayer. There's no way to explain it. That's kind of where they ended up. The intellectuals and the cultural leaders of today remind me of nothing so much as the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11. Wouldn't that kind of be insulting? But, you know, in Genesis 11, they wanted to build a name for themselves. They were going to build a, it's probably a zuggernaut, but anyway, they wanted to build a tower and make a name for themselves and be important, Right? We have a bunch of towers now that we're going to reach all the way to the heavens as high as God. We have towers in our world. One of the things, um, the thing that comes to mind most obviously, I think, is the one world movement. And it sounds so good. We're going to have one government and we'll all get along. We're all going to be able to communicate and we're all going to live by the same rules and it'll be just marvelous. That's not possible. It, it, has no, it has no place for sin. That whole theory doesn't address the fact that there are peoples who hate one another, that hate is common among human beings. It doesn't, it doesn't address the reality of greed in the way that people will try to dominate or take or steal or whatever. It doesn't, it doesn't take into account the desire of the Im- imagination or motivation. They want to make something different or better. They want to create something, something that we've never seen before. People aren't going to get along. It's a great idea. won't work. The same thing can be said for genetic engineering. And I am all for, if we can get rid of disease, if we can get rid of birth controls, that sounds like birth defects. If we can get rid of birth disease or, oh, I'm, I'm all messed up. If we can wipe out disease and get rid of birth defects, excuse me, th- that sounds wonderful. And I'm for that. I think that's a great idea. That's not possible. DNA is flawed. That's the whole point. We're working with the flawed DNA anyway. And then we're going to try to fix flawed DNA. And you know who's fixing flawed DNA? Flawed scientists. Scientists with egos. Scientists with limits of knowledge. Scientists with limits of wisdom. They can know how they have CRISPR technology. They'll just splice right into those DNA, into the DNA right now. And we'll get rid of everything that's bad. Well, how do you know what's bad? How do you know how it works? And we don't really. I saw an article the other day where they were injecting, um, I think it was human cells into monkeys 
I hope it wasn't vice versa. What are you going to do with a half human, half monkey? That's a host of problems we're not prepared to answer. There are various movements all around. We're going to save the world from global warming. We're going to save the planet from, you know, exploding there. We're going to save the planet from all the pollution and all the greenhouse gases. I think that's a great idea. God created us to take care of the planet, and I think we should do that. But it's absurd to think that we can save the planet. We're, the reason that's absurd is because we're not strong enough to, to destroy the planet. How arrogant do you have to be to think that you can destroy the entire planet? You could have nuclear war and not destroy the entire planet. I don't care. You know, there's incredible hubris in that idea. We can destroy one another. That is true. But you can't destroy God's world. By the time you blow up a few nuclear missiles, there won't be enough people left to blow up the rest of them. You can't destroy the planet. You can only destroy one another. We have too much pride here. Okay, I've been talking too long, and um, so I kind of want to wrap this up. I will tell you the thing that bothered me. I want to go back to where I began. The thing that bothered me the most about the pastor's article that I read was that there were not the references to the counselor, because I think counselors can be good, and wasn't reference to the medications, because I think medications can be good and helpful. What bothered me about it was the way in which it ignored the reality of the soul. You see, that that's a huge problem for us. We have a soul. That's where our conscience comes from, and that's why... It can't be found or measured through some sort of tool. It is the breath of God within us. Human beings alone possess the image of God. That means a whole host of things. But the most important thing that it means is that we have a soul. It means that we are able to be in communion with God, that we can communicate with Him. He has gone to great lengths to make Himself available to us and to make us known. Think about the incarnation of the Son of God. And modern psychology and modern psychiatry, as useful as they are, address the mind and the body without reference to the soul. The soul is where we are healed. Right? The human brain can go haywire, and we should be grateful for the great medications that we have uh, with the, for the professionals and stuff that, we, that, that can assist us when that happens. But the soul is the location of light. It is the, the place, the secret place within, where the breath of God nourishes us, where it nurtures authentic humanity, what makes us human. You know, we're illumined by the Spirit of God through the soul, and it, it's the source of all that is good and beautiful. It's the source of humility and compassion. And we, when it's ignored entirely, it becomes the source of darkness, and I think that's what we're doing in our society today. And when we try to resolve anything in the world today without reference to the soul, I think that we end up with no meaning at all, that um, there is no right or wrong, there is no good or evil, there is no truth, there is no purpose, there is no meaning, there is no... Life just simply is, and then you're gone. And I think that creates desperation in people. And um, in the middle of all the circumstances going around right now with the pandemic and all this kind of stuff... Uh, political conflict, wow, the nation's just divided across the board. And I don't want to talk about politics, but my point is that the human soul is the thing that prevents us from consuming one another. And if we ignore the soul, it doesn't take us very long to consume one another, lock, stock, and barrel. All around us, souls are starving. They are living in hopelessness and fear and anger. <clears throat> The worst is, I think, probably, is that I think we're more like Aldous Huxley's Brave New World than we want to admit. Um, I don't even know how often people read that and understand that anymore. But um, 
life is made painless by all the medications that they've taken, all the science, they've fixed all, all life for human beings. But life is also made meaningless and more completely uniform. That sounds like the one world order to me. But it also sounds like, you know, TikTok. Let's all sit around and play that forever and ever. And we're completely entertained. And as long as we're entertained, we don't have to realize that our life is meaningless and has no purpose. We, it's like our souls, we're going through life, we're starving to death when we're wading through mountains of candy instead of mountains of nutrition. It's really tragic. In Christ, all of that is available to us. And in Christ, all that is available for our whole, wor- whole world right now. And I think this is the Christian moment when we ought to be proclaiming the gospel with strength instead of being cowering in fear because everybody says that Christianity is going away or because people don't believe in God or because scientists say we're ridiculous. I don't care. What we ought to be doing is looking at our God because our God is enough. He is big enough and we have nothing to be afraid of because in the end, God wins. I'm not saying we couldn't suffer. That certainly happens. The fields are ripe for harvest. It doesn't matter what any scientist says or any philosopher says or any psychiatrist says. It doesn't really matter. The human soul exists and it never ceases to search for its creator. We will always be searching for God. But first, we need, I suspect that we need to recover Christianity for ourselves if we are going to minister to the world around us. We, can't, we, cannot, reclaim, uh, we cannot reclaim Christian faith if we're just going to keep believing the same thing that everybody else believes. We have to believe that God is who he is, that he really is the creator, and he really is enough, and that he is sufficient, and that all the worldly beliefs and wisdom that we have cannot supplant the truth of the gospel. You know, if we fit too easily into our culture, if we accept all of the worldly wisdom, then we have nothing to offer. We need to seek again to have the mind of Christ. Uh, we need to pursue the secret and hidden wisdom that I read about in 1 Corinthians 2 when I started. Um, you know, the wisdom that's hidden in Christ crucified. So that we understand spiritual matters. So that we can see the world through the eyes of God. So that we can offer salvation and life in this generation. Because... This is the generation that God loves. We're among a people whom God loves. It doesn't matter whether they know him or not. They didn't know him when he died for him the first time. We didn't know him at some point. There's so much knowledge in our world that's good, you guys. But all the knowledge in the world is, is insufficient. It's not enough. Some knowledge in the world is just plain bad, and we need to know the difference between the two. Some of it's just wrong. But some of it's good, but none of it supplants the truth of the gospel. None of it does. And we need to learn to think accordingly. All around us, souls, our hearts and, so, our hearts and souls that are withering away. We have the salvation of the Lord to share. You know, you have heard it said. Jesus would hear something. He'd use a statement. And he'd say, let me say to you. And he would clarify and make it completely change our understanding. And that's what we need to do. We need to change our understanding not not away from old Jewish law or Jewish practice. We need to change it from secular law and secular practice. Every podcast, I'm going to consider a different topic, something that I see or hear or something that everybody knows, everybody knows, completely contradicts Christian belief. I'm going to explore the topic and what I've heard, what's implied, what is Christian, and I hope that you will find it interesting enough to listen. Here's what I want you to know, that God would save his people again and again And again, if we let him do so. For God loves. He loves endlessly. He loves boundlessly. And he loves unconditionally. Let us close with prayer. 
Hear my prayer, O Lord. Have mercy upon me, a sinner, and save me. I ask you, O God, to call your people to lift our eyes to you, that we may see your glory. Send your Spirit to walk with us, to guide our steps, and remind us throughout each day of your infinite wisdom, as well as the safety we find in the shelter of your love. These things we pray in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now then, I hope you will enjoy your your next week as we celebrate the incarnation of the Son of God to the to Mary, born to Mary. And I'm going to talk next week about the often re- repeated claim: all religions are the same, all lead to the same thing in the end. I think it's appropriate topic for Christmas week. Y'all have a good week. God bless. You have just heard the latest. You have heard it said podcast with Elizabeth Moreau. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Podcast, or whatever service you might use. Please rate, review, and share this podcast with others. Be sure to look us up on Facebook and like and share this podcast with your friends. And while you're at it, if you appreciate this ministry, please consider making a donation to Servants Feast Christian Ministry through our website. Join us next time as Elizabeth explores and exposes yet another piece of conventional wisdom with the truth of Christ.